Um. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. Who will get to say that swine is mine? Hello, Scoop Podcast faithful. Welcome to Score North on this Friday night, the 15th of November. This is Scoop Podcast episode 266. Later on, I catch up with former Wolves big man Cole Aldrich. Trust me, Cole still has lots of intimate knowledge about the Wolves, even though he's two years removed. He was teammates with Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins. He played for Ryan Saunders way back when, when Ryan was at the U of M. Ryan actually helped coach. Cole's AAU team, so his friendship with Ryan goes back over a decade. So we'll catch up with Cole Aldrich in studio. The next segment, before Cole Aldrich, I'll catch up with James Rousen, the former Twins hitting coach, the Twins exquisite hitting coach the last two years. You think about how historically good the Twins offense was last year. James is now moving on. He's the new Miami Marlins bench coach slash offensive coordinator. He'll describe how hard it was for him to leave Minnesota, to leave the Twins organization, how hard they tried to keep him, why the job in Miami is so enticing. Plus, he goes to bat for one individual in particular to take over as Twins hitting coach. So, Rousen and Aldrich later on this hour, but we begin with Gophers football talk. Make no bones about it. It's not like I pretend like this show is live right now. I am in actually in Cedar Rapids at the Gophers Team Hotel for coverage of Gophers and Iowa for the TV job, Channel 5. There's all sorts of excitement, all sorts of buzz surrounding this weekend's Gophers-Iowa game kickoff tomorrow at Kinnick Stadium is at 3 o'clock. Iowa opened as a two-point favorite. That line has actually gone up a bit. It's now Iowa either, depending on where you're looking, either minus two and a half or minus three. So yes, the Gophers going for a 12th consecutive victory are an underdog in this game, but you look at the matchup, pretty evenly matched, right? I mean, Iowa has three losses, but all were competitive games. The Michigan loss, the Penn State loss, and the Wisconsin loss. You look at the Gophers coming off one of the best wins in program history. Heck, you look at the Gophers. They've now scored 31 or more points in their last eight games. You look at the Gophers overall, outscoring Big Ten opponents 237 to 98, but then you look at that Iowa defense, its scoring defense, less than 12 points a game given up. That is the lowest total of the Kirk Ferentz era, and it's the best by any Hawkeye team since 1959. You look at Iowa overall from a defensive standpoint, total defense, it's the lowest by any Hawkeye team since 09. You look at 12 touchdowns only given up in its last nine games. There are so many good things about Iowa's defense. So that will be a phenomenal, a fascinating matchup. Minnesota's offense against Iowa's defense. Can the Gophers say that swine is mine? Bring the Floyd of Rosedale back here for the first time since, in Iowa City at least, since 1999. The Gophers' eight consecutive losses in Iowa City. Yes, it's been 20 years since the Gophers won a game in Iowa City. It's been a handful of years since they've won the pig, and this is the first time I'm trying to remember if it's 03 or 04. I'm trying to find in my notes. Either 03 or 04. I should have the exact year, but 03 or 04, the last time that both the Gophers and Iowa were ranked in the top 20. In fact, I just found it. 2003, number 20, Iowa defeated number 19, Minnesota, 40-22 to in Iowa City. The exact date, November 15th. So it would have been, what, 16 years ago today, November 15th, 2003, the last time these two programs were ranked in the top 20. Can't wait for tomorrow. I caught up earlier this week here at the Hubbard Broadcasting Studios with former Gophers offensive lineman, former Gophers team captain, Ray Hitchcock, one of the great guys, the pride of St. Paul, Ray Hitchcock. Ray Hitchcock had the honor last Saturday to give the Gophers the captain's speech. So at the team hotel, during breakfast, the Gophers always have a former player give a 10 to 15 minute speech to the team before they board the buses for the stadium. Ray Hitchcock had that honor last Saturday. So that was a key talking point with Ray. We reviewed his speech to the team last Saturday, how cool it was to be at TCF Bank Stadium for the win over the Nittany Lions, and we talked some Hawkeyes. Here's my conversation with Ray Hitchcock. Ray, let's just circle back to Saturday morning. You had the honor of giving the captain's speech. How special, how rewarding was that? Well, you know, it was a group of kids that you walk in and you could just sense that they were on the verge of of doing something special. I had about 10 minutes with the team uh, at the team hotel and really just kind of said 
throughout the state of Minnesota, the support is there for him. And it's such an exciting time for Gopher football. And Coach Fleck a few weeks ago was talking about, is it worth it? He made a speech on the or at a media event talking about he told the players, went almost individually with them and said, uh, is it worth it? All the work that you do to get to where you're at, has it been worth it? And my comment there was, hey, uh, come Saturday, uh, 55,000 people screaming and yelling. It certainly is worth it. And uh, just a special day for Gopher football on Saturday. And it was an honor for me to, to address the boys. How did it come about? I mean, there's a lot of guys that have an opportunity to give that speech. Yeah. How did they end up, you know, with you there? Well, it, you know, because Coach Wilson is kind of the player personnel director, uh, called me in May and said, uh, I got you down for the Penn State game. And in May, you really don't think about, you know, what type of impact that as you build up for the game. And each week, it's uh, got closer and closer. Uh, they kept winning, and you walk in and dress an ain't no football team on a uh, on a, a historic day for the program it was pretty special. And you said, I mean, they were completely locked in. I mean, just how cool was that? Just standing there with the whole team just locked in on you. It was, uh, you know, you could just tell. I mean, the guys had the look. Not a lot of conversation. Very quiet, um, but uh, gave the message. And uh, and whether or not it had any bearing or impact, it was it was just great to talk to them. Then we fast forward a few hours. You, you see the start they get off to. Are you just sitting there thinking, you're at TCF Bank Stadium, I said, are you just thinking, wait, okay, you know, I had a little to do with this? Yeah, well, the, the start and then, you know, as we were talking about earlier, Darren, we've got a good football team over there. The other thing is we're healthy. Uh, you know, the Kamal Martin boy, he's got to get back. Uh, the knee is is important to get him uh, back to the football field here this, this week, hopefully against Iowa. But uh, you know, a little bit of part of, you know, helping out, which is good. And, uh, you know, Coach Fleck, we just appreciate everything that he's doing and had a good talk with Mark Coyle on Saturday and just a real exciting time for the entire state. Um, and the football program is doing great things. A big challenge Saturday at Iowa City. That's not an easy place to win. Uh, that's that's going to be a tough one. And that's not a gimme down there, even though they're have three losses, it's still going to be a difficult game. Yeah, I mean, they haven't won there since 1999, and I get it. I mean, historically, that has nothing to do with the 2019 team, but it's been a long time. Yes. Plus, Iowa is favored. Yeah, and it's a difficult place. They're right on top of you down there at Kinnick. Uh, they make it as difficult as possible for you to perform. Uh, I think the, the one thing that P.J. will do a great job at doing is preparing them for this week. Don't look ahead to Northwestern, which is another. We haven't played well down there either. And then, of course, the guys uh, in three weeks, the guys from Madison. So uh, we'll see. Is it hard, though, for you as an alum, as a big-time fan, to not look ahead, to not think about you know the possibility of being in Indianapolis or possibly even Pasadena? It's uh, You look ahead. Um, I think what he's got, uh, he's got the boys grounded, knowing that uh, you know, each, week has, each week gets more important. And it's just, uh, he'll have them ready. Uh, they travel well. I was telling you about the breakfast. It's, it's orchestrated to the minute on what things are done. He runs it. It's a big-time program. And uh, that's exciting. And I think we'll, we'll play well down there. We just got to go down there, all business, and, and get after him. Did you think the success would happen this soon? And I get it, three or four last year to finish the season, the win in Madison. But did you think it would happen this soon, year three of the P.J. Fleck era? I did not. Uh, we were actually talking, Coach and I, on Saturday. Um, and he's got 85 underclassmen on that team with only 10 seniors. And he's probably a year or two away from, you know, what? I mean, 10-0, 11-0, whatever it would be. Uh, but it's he's got the, the luck of health. They've not had a lot of guys dinged up. And that's been fortunate, and the schedule's been favorable. But now he's going to earn his keep in, in uh, the stretch down in November. And so next three games will be tough. How about just the stretch of Big Ten games, mm -hmm. especially before Penn State? I mean, not just winning games, blowing out teams. And we talked about this off camera, but at 3-0, and coming off the non-conference slate, I'm not sure any of us saw this coming. No, I agree. And uh, looking, uh, we were at the Maryland game and just kind of watching them. Our guys look different. We've got bigger, better players than, for sure, Maryland, some of those other teams as well. But we matched up well on Saturday with Penn State, and that's a very good football team, a very well-coached football team. And uh, credit to the strength coach and conditioning coaches. Uh, I think the injuries that we have so few of are based on their conditioning and their off-season habits. And uh, it's, a, it's a time that you get these you know especially late when it's cold weather and you need all your all your guys and we've got depth at running back 
depth at receiver and uh, playing good defense. So, and they don't, you know, no penalties. They don't turn the ball over. All the things that uh, you're nine and zero for a reason. So, and uh, they take care of the business with uh, with the ball. So that's important. There's been some cool moments on campus. I mean, I'll even circle back to '97 after they clinched the Final Four berth, the men's basketball sure. team, the celebration at the bar, and you think about the men's hockey team winning some of those national championships, more so the celebration in Dinky Town. But I'm thinking or about sensors. that. Yeah, or at sensors. <laughs> but then I'm thinking about the field storming and just that yeah. post-game celebration on the field. You were up. You know, I saw the picture on, yeah, on Instagram sure. or Twitter. But yep. as you're looking down on the field, yeah. seeing that celebration, I mean, what was that like? It was unbelievable, and it's uh, the experience, the fan experience that day. If you could bottle it and sell it, you'd be a millionaire. It was just, uh, one, they didn't sit down the whole game, and the band was in it, and it was everything the college football uh, is supposed to be. And the fact that they won really kind of just, you know, topped it off. And uh, a lot of excitement, a lot of carryover even into today. Um, so it's it's a fun time to be a Gopher fan. What were you thinking that last Penn State drive as they're moving the ball, the one receiver? I don't know if he tripped on his own feet, what have you, but, I mean, he's yeah. he's getting close yeah. there, and he goes down, and then you think about the offensive pass interference, yeah. which, yeah. I don't know, maybe a questionable call, then right. the fourth down, the, the Howden interception, you know, was one of the receivers held there? I mean, just so much drama on that last drive. Yeah, it back and forth, and then also the you know the game clock ran out for Penn State on the one. That should have been a penalty. You're right. And so we're sitting there going, is this going to happen, and is are we going to have the – is this going to break our hearts here? And they made a play, and that was exciting. And the defense just played lights out, and – uh, well coached, well coached defense, good line, D line, and and uh, obviously with Winfield's play, uh, outstanding for Saturday. And you think about even the quarterback too. I mean, I think that's an underrated storyline this year. That I think Zach Anikstead was probably their guy. Maybe I'm wrong on that front, but I just think the way he slings the ball. I mean, just in practice, you watch Anikstead throw the ball. He throws a really nice ball. I just I think Anikstead was their guy before the injury. So in many ways. They're doing this with their number two quarterback. Yeah, 18 to 20 on Saturday, 300 plus with three touchdowns. Uh, threw a lot on first down, which I think got Penn State on their heels. They were thinking we were going to line up in two tights and just get after them run wise. And the 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 throwing threat on first down was just great. And the slants, obviously, that's a, kind of our big route. And uh, consistently, I really like our tight ends, two big kids that just move around and can, you know, time of possession. That's what we'd normally win, and we did that Saturday. So great, uh, great outcome. Paulson didn't miss one block at one point, but I'm with you. Span forward, Paulson. How about Bateman, though? I mean, that does that tell you all you need to know about P.J. Fleck and his staff and their ability to recruit that, that Georgia comes in last second, the Georgia Bulldogs, his home state school, comes and offers him, yet they're able to keep Rashad Bateman. And, I mean, he's, he's got NFL written all over yeah, him. He's a special player, and, there's, and we talk about depth, great depth there at, at uh, receiver position. And um, even with the weather being, obviously it was a great day weather-wise, no wind on Saturday, which helped. Uh, but uh, they've the, the depth of receiver is is really a uh, that's going to help us here down the stretch. I mean, there is something special about this team, right? The way they win the Penn State game, the way they win the Fresno State sure. game, the way they win the Georgia Southern game. I'm just thinking about some of those Mason years, mm -hmm. where unfortunately, in many ways, his legacy to me at least is he snatched defeat from the jaws of victory. There were so many games where you're like, okay, yeah. and then somehow the other team won the game. Yeah. But it just feels like this year's different, right? Yeah, I certainly felt that on Saturday and all week prior to the game. I, I just kind of felt that this is not a, a fluke if we beat them because we've got we have a good football team. Uh, you know, we talk about storylines, the Casey O'Brien story throughout the whole season, and, and this is a team. And in addressing the team on Saturday, you can tell they love each other and they trust each other on the field. That's why they play so well because they have a they they know that. They're all in it together and kind of the bunker mentality and just the normal things that, that make you win football games. That's what they're doing. And it's, uh, it's a, certainly a, a credit to, to P.J. and his staff and what they've got us uh, so far. And then big things ahead of us, though. going to be fun. On PJ, I mean, you've developed a really close relationship with him. How grateful are you that he signed that extension? And, and I was talking to, to Mark Coyle on Saturday about it. it's, it's money well spent. And uh, we don't need to, I think we've had 10 head coaches since 1983. You just can't win. And uh, Mark said a few months ago about there's no more excuses here why we shouldn't win. We've got a state-of-an-art facility, an on-campus stadium, commitment to winning. Coyle wants football to win. And he understands that it's the, it is the, the catalyst that drives the athletic department. 
and um, the he's they've invested in it. And you can tell the way they travel, the way they operate, the things they do. It's a big time program, and we're glad PJ's here. All my guys are ecstatic that he's he signed for a, a longer period of time. Why don't you go after this? How great of a job has that staff done? reconnecting with you guys, the alumni. I mean, I think about Eric Decker being there on Saturday. I mean, go up and down the list. It seems like PJ and his crew have done an unbelievable job connecting to you guys. Yeah, and, you know, they honored the 1999 team that won at Penn State. Uh, So there must have been 40 or 50 of those guys in the locker room afterwards. And he understands that. He knows the importance of of connecting the alumni, and it's just been great. And the, the support will continue to grow. Uh, we've been keeping uh, Daryl Thompson. We're monitoring him because of his bacon intake for the uh, week of uh, of Iowa. So if his cardiologist calls, we'll we have to be careful to make sure that he doesn't eat too much bacon this week. So, but fun week for us. Were you in the locker room post game? I was not. I was up in the, up in the suite. Okay, but you saw. I'm sure you saw the video thing. That's fun. You know, that's great stuff. So exciting. And that's the beautiful part, though. Like, if you wanted to be in the locker room, hey, alumni, open arms, right? You bet. Open arms for everything. Practice, no restrictions, which is, uh, you know, we have access, and, and that's great. Former Gophers offensive lineman, former Gophers captain Ray Hitchcock, he gave the captain's speech to the team on Saturday morning. He's not quite at the right number number of head coaches since 1983, but it's been a number of head coaches. So finally, some continuity. Fleck hopefully can be here for a long, long time. Yes, I'm with Ray. That that is money well spent. Ray is also right about the lack of wind. If you recall, if you listen to this podcast regularly, last week in this time slot, I said, hey, expect some wind. That was the buzz in my conversation with Connor Rota. That was the buzz from Dave Dahl. My guy Dave, KSTP chief meteorologist, he had said midweek that there was some wind expected on Saturday, but as the week went on, the weather played even more a factor in the Gophers' success being able to air the ball out against that Penn State Nittany Lions secondary. Tomorrow will be a blast. Gophers and Hawkeyes, 3 o'clock at Kinnick Stadium. Thank you, Ray Hitchcock for joining the podcast. When we come back, we catch up with James Rouse and former Minnesota Twins hitting coach. Stay with us. Welcome back, everyone. The Scoop Podcast continues. This is episode 266 on this 15th of November, this Friday night on Score North scorenorth.com that score with a k 1500 a.m on your conventional radio dial the twins among folks they met with in scottsdale at this week's gm meetings was the zach wheeler camp so they are in on zach wheeler they have interest in madison bumgarner so they are trying to wheel and deal unfortunately for those of us who like fast play fast action like in the nhl nba and nfl major league baseball free agency is an entirely different animal it is very much slow play after slow play, but the Twins are in on some of the better free agent starting pitchers. Speaking of the Twins, let's catch up now with former hitting coach James Rouse. And James is gone from the Twins. Think about how good the offense was, how historically good the offense was last year. James had a lot to do with that, but he is now the bench coach for the Miami Marlins. He'll also have his fingerprints all over their hitting approaches throughout their minor league system. So in many ways, it is a promotion. It is a big loss for the Twins. Let's catch up now with James Rousen. James, thank you for doing this. Congratulations on the move to Miami. We'll get to that in just a second, but let's start with your guy, Rocco Baldelli, earlier this week, named Manager of the Year. A really close vote. I don't know if you saw the voting results, James, but he had 13 first-place votes. Aaron Boone of New York had 13 first-place votes. I mean, the final tally was really, really close between Rocco and Aaron, but Rocco, the Manager of the Year, how happy are you for your guy? Oh, man, I couldn't be happier. I was on the edge of my seat watching it and, um, you know, rooting for him. And obviously when he won it, I was, I was incredibly excited for him and just um, the work and effort and, and what he put into the season um, this year, starting in spring training, was, was awesome. Um, I got to know Rocco, you know, first year this year as a, as, a, as a coach working with him. And by the end of the year, it was more as a brother and, and a family member. So it's like you get excited for your family members when good things happen. So I'm super pumped for him. Did you know right away, I mean, from your first conversation or among your first conversations with Rocco that that he is something special? I mean, did you know right away last, you know, whether it was late October, November, early December, before you guys even got to Fort Myers, did you know right away that Rocco had a chance to be a very special manager? Um, you know, it's funny because baseball is such a, it's a small fraternity. It's a big game, but it's a small fraternity. And me and Rocco had knew some of the same people but hadn't crossed each other. Uh, before he was hired for the managing position. So, 
you know, just in talking to a lot of people that I've talked to, I mean, people couldn't talk, you know, more highly of a person. Um, and they kept telling me, you're going to love this guy. I mean, this is going to I mean, this is going to be a good matchup, the two of you. So people that knew the both of us kind of thought we would click right away. and We didn't know each other. But once I talked to him in the offseason, I mean, you kind of had that feeling that we thought alike. We kind of thought the game alike. The personalities were a little bit similar. And then when we got into spring training, we kind of hit the ground running. So it was, like I said, man, I couldn't ask for a better uh, manager to work for last season. And then obviously we did some pretty special things, but it was awesome uh, working with him. James, because of that bond, how hard was that phone call when you had to call him and say, hey, I'm taking a job with the Miami Marlins? Um, obviously, you know, the call to, uh, to Minnesota, just in general, to all those guys over there, was the toughest call I've made in my professional career at this point. Um, it was, it, I mean, it was, um, it was gut-wrenching. Um, it, was, it was a decision that I did not come to lightly at all and, and kind of really went back and forth on. And it just goes to show that even though the opportunity was, was really great moving forward, that the connection and the bond and the people, um, you know, that, 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 that group is just a special group. Um, so it was really a tough call to make. I talked to Sad, Derek, um, I talked to Rocco, and, and obviously talked to many other people, but it was, uh, like I said, the toughest call I had to make in my career so far. Because of the toughness of that call, why is Miami, why is this Marlins job such a great opportunity for you? Um, you know what's 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 so interesting about it is is again it comes from some of the things we talk about in Minnesota and why Minnesota's so special. Um, one of the things we've talked about in the three years I've been there, and you know it's promoted all the way from the top down is about growth, and it's about um, challenging you to, to be your best self. And we talked about that, talked about that a lot with players. And I think um, some of the things if you're going to be a good coach, you got to practice what you preach, I guess sometimes. So I mean the mindset for me is to try to continue to grow in the game. This opportunity would afford me to uh, do something a little different. I'll, I'll have a hand in the offense, um, offensive side of the game of what they're going there from a little bit of a different angle. And I'll also have a chance to, you know, be the bench coach and, and be able to uh, do some things that I haven't uh, done to this point in the game so far. So I think it's just a matter of constantly trying to challenge yourself, trying to get better. And um, like I said, the Twins were – it couldn't have been better about it because they expect that. I mean, and that goes to show what kind of character and people – that are in the organization because they're always looking out for you as a person first. Is Miami also one of those situations where family-wise it's better for you that you're closer to a lot of people that you know? Absolutely. That weighed into the decision. It was a uh, an important part of the decision. Obviously, um, you know, my parents are um, here in Miami. My fa- I mean, I'm sorry, not in Miami, but in Florida. Uh, my wife and, and daughters and, and my family's here in Florida. So it's a lot closer to the family. Um so that, that part of it was um, that weighed in heavily, obviously, um, spring training, and then you're going to play so many games during the season that's only going to be a four- or five-hour drive away, which isn't too far. So it, it weighed into the decision. But even, even putting all that into the decision, it was, it was still such a tough decision to make. Was there any effort, James, by the Twins to create some new position, find some new title for you to keep you? I mean, were there any talks along those lines? Um, I had a great discussion with um, – in Minnesota, and, and absolutely, the, the discussion was to stay there. Um, they they uh, did everything possible for me to uh, to stay, and I was very happy with that. Um, I was very happy with the opportunity to to come back. The only thing that could um, challenge that was the opportunity that was placed in front of me. But the Twins um, made every effort for me to come back. Um, everyone wanted me to come back, and everybody was ex- excited for me to come back and was a little disappointed when things worked out the way they did. But they were also happy that... You know, I, I may be able to bark on a, a little bit of a different journey and, and see how this plays out, but the Twins did everything possible, and, it was, and they were great about the process. Was there any temptation to see how Derek Shelton's situation played out? I mean, we know that he interviewed for the match job, didn't get it. The Pirates job is still open, although who knows who's even going to end up making the hire in Pittsburgh. But was there any temptation to wait out to see what took place with Derek to see if maybe being the bench coach here was a possibility? You know, I think um, honestly, when those when those things were happening, it was more than um, just the bench coach side of it. And and honestly, um, when it comes to it, at, at the end of the season, a lot of these decisions are made independently, so they don't really uh, thrive off of each other. Just because of the timing of it and the way things happen, you can't really wait and see how things go. But um, the 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 situation uh, here in Miami is a little bit of a unique situation because it's the bench coach, but it also has a different side of it, an offensive coordinator side of it that's going to allow me to do some things 
um, and work with work with the like I said the offensive side of the ball from a little bit of a diff- different perspective. So it's something that I was interested in doing because of the, uh, the little difference in in approach from that standpoint. I mean, how has how has you know the the job evolved? And I guess jobs. I mean, now with your multiple titles, I mean. Even as recently as just a couple years ago, I don't ever recall hearing the title of, you know, we hear it in football, but not necessarily in baseball, of of offensive coordinator. Well, well, it's, it's interesting because I mean, and I and I kind of, in my mindset, think that the NFL's got it right to some extent. I mean, baseball is about um, you know scoring runs and 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 stopping and and stopping the other team from scoring runs. So there's the the run production side of the game, and then there's the side of the game where you're trying to do run prevention. So I think really. At the end of the day, um, you're trying to figure out how to put points on the board and how to keep points off the board, as they would say in the NFL. So I think baseball is kind of evolving a little bit. And with the, the metrics that we have and the way the game is moving forward on the analytical side of it, as well as, you know, just the um, instructional side of it as well, I think, you know, sometimes you have to adjust, adjust your coaching style. And baseball is trying to make a little bit of a transition to do that. What are your connections to the Marlins front office, to Don Mattingly, the manager? I mean, did you cross paths with some of those folks with your time in the Yankees organization? Uh, yeah, uh, and I, I did. I just I met Don Mattingly uh, for the first time on the um, interview, but there are many other people in that organization, Gary Dembo uh, being one of them, obviously, that I go um, way back with um, as far as um, even back when I was as a player. So I've gone a long time back knowing him. Um, and I know a lot of other people that are working – throughout the organization in that system, some of the people that I've worked with um, in the Yankee organization. So there is definitely some familiarity with some of the people there. How much pride, James, do you take in just all the historic numbers that were put up this past year? I mean, we can go up and down the list. Clearly at the top of the list is the home run record. But, I mean, just across the board, I mean, all the statistical offensive success and you having your fingerprints all over that. Uh, I mean, what what a credit to the players we have. Um and the and the culture that was created there. I can't say enough. Um, it's obviously you're not going to do that without good players. Um, good players and guys that buy into the process and guys that show up every day to work and enjoy doing what they do. So it's awesome to be a part of that. And again, the culture, which a lot of times is is understated. Um, people don't realize how important it is. And Rocco again did such a great job of of kind of bringing out that point of how important it is to come to the park every day, excited to be there. Guys came with a good attitude because of the culture that was created. They wanted to be there. They wanted to work. And at the end of the day, all we cared about was winning ball games. And when you care, when you work that way, it seems like those records are coming just because of the way we're designed to go work every day. So we were never shooting for any particular record. They just kind of came because of the process that we had in place. So it was pretty cool to watch. And as the season ends now, you can sit back a little bit and look at it and, and kind of realize that it was a really special year. I think when you're going through it, you're just trying to, they focused on continuing to win games, but now that the season's over, you kind of realize that those don't those don't come along very often. It's a really special season. From an individual standpoint, what surprised you the most? Like for me, it might be Mitch Garver. Not that I didn't think Mitch had it in him, but just the gaudy numbers, the the unbelievable numbers Mitch put up. You know, if you had asked me on March 25th, hey, predict Mitch Garver's numbers for the year, I'm not quite sure I would have landed on what his numbers ended up being. Is there any one or two individuals that really stick out to you? Oh man, there there were so many. Um, obviously, I mean, I could just just add to what you said on on Mitch, just in terms of that. I mean, Mitch had such a great season, um, and and just so happy for him and proud of him because of you know the work he puts in every day. It's from a coaching standpoint, it's pretty cool to see what happens behind the scenes. Um, you know, everybody sees what happens during the game, obviously from seven o'clock or so on. But I'm watching, you know, when he comes in early, the days he's not feeling good, and the work he's still putting in, no matter what when he got beat up the night before behind home plate and, you know, things aren't working, he's got to make some sort of adjustments to go out there and play. And he still hits a, you know, a walk-off game winning home run when he's not feeling at his best. So it's pretty cool to watch a guy like that work his tail off every day and to be rewarded. And from the from the season standpoint, I would say the thing that really got me excited was, um, or look back and really kind of marvel, is the consistency of these guys all year long. I mean, there was not too many uh, – downs of the year you know we didn't ride many waves ups and downs it was about being consistent all year long and um you know to have that home run record and, and, and but, but to do it as consistently as these guys did throughout the year and never really have too many um too many valleys in what they were doing was pretty impressive as a group yeah you know a little bit more than that we're talking with james rousen who's now with the miami marlins former twins hitting coach i mean 
because of that? Is there any G's? I mean, how did that happen with the sweep in the playoffs? You know, losing three straight to New York? Because you're right. It's not like you guys had many three-game losing streaks throughout the year. The next thing you know, snap of the fingers, your season was over. Yeah, you know, you, you look back on it, and obviously when you, when you look at that part of it, I mean, I think anyone was was happy with the ending. I think it was a little shocking. But but in, in, in retrospect, when you kind of go back and look at it, you realize that, that, that that's baseball and you learn from it. Um, but it's you, at that point, you're playing against the best teams, and all the best teams are out there, and you're one of them. Um, and you're going out there fighting. I thought our guys fought hard down the end and, and you know, obviously just didn't get the uh, – the breaks just didn't get the things that were happening for us during the season to happen. So it was definitely a tough ending to a great season. But um, at the end of the day, um, when you can step back and look from it, it hurt at the moment, but you still step back and you're really proud of the year that the guys put together. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking from the outside looking in now, but I fully expect this group of guys to continue to uh, to move forward and do well and accomplish great things. And I'm glad that I'm in the National League now because I can root for my guys in the American <laughs> League. Over in Minnesota, because I'll be watching closely and pulling for all the guys over there. Are you pushing for your assistant hitting coach, Rudy Hernandez, to elevate to hitting coach? Oh, man, obviously they're going to make that decision, but I couldn't speak highly, more highly of Rudy and what Rudy's done over the past years. Um, you know, it's been, it's been uh, as a hitting coach, a lot of times people come and talk to me, and I try to tell people all the time that um, he's a special guy down there. He does great things with the players. He's earned the respect for players. Um I respect him highly. He, he's smart. He, he understands the game. He understands hitting. And more importantly, he understands how to deal with people. And that's the most important part of his uh, job is to deal with all these different personalities and all these different people. And Rudy does great at it. So whatever he decides to do and whatever the Twins decide to do in that situation, um, Rudy's a huge asset for your organization. James, thank you for doing this. I know I speak for many Twins fans when we wish you nothing but the best. Thank you for your two years of service here in Minnesota. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Former Twins hitting coach, now Miami Marlins bench coach slash offensive coordinator. He will have his fingerprints on how the Marlins approach hitting throughout their organization. Minor league through minor league team. So James Rousen getting a promotion on his way to the Miami Marlins. We wish him nothing but the best. He is an enormous loss. Maybe Rudy Hernandez gets elevated, but hey, you look at the numbers from last year, the numbers speak for themselves. Trust me, James Rousen had a lot to do with the Twins' offensive success. So he is now on to the Miami Marlins. We await what the Twins will do this fall into the winter. Undoubtedly, they are going to add multiple players. We will wait and see who they end up adding, but clearly keep an eye on starting pitchers. When we come back, we switch the conversation to the National Basketball Association. Former Wolves big man Cole Aldrich, the pride of Bloomington Jefferson, one of the greatest players in Kansas Jayhawks history. Cole Aldrich will join us in studio for a segment next. Stay with us. Welcome back, Score North faithful. Thanks for listening to the Scoop Podcast, episode 266 on this Friday night. It's a Friday night, so I'm feeling all right. Joining us now in studio, he played eight years in the NBA for six different teams. He has his jersey hanging in the rafters at Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence, Kansas, one of the all-time great Kansas Jayhawks. He was a McDonald's All-American at Bloomington Jefferson. He played for the Wolves a couple years ago. He played in China last year. He's now hanging out here in the Twin Cities. It is Cole Aldrich. Cole, thanks for doing this. You've been on a couple past podcasts, including one we taped the other day, episode 265. You were on a few weeks ago where we went through your backstory playing in China last year. So people want to hear that. Oh, yeah. Those episodes are are readily available. But let's talk Wolves. Pretty good so far, right? Through this first handful of games. Yeah. Pretty good for your guy, Ryan Saunders. Yeah. It's, it's been great to see, you know, this early success because, you know, if they would have started the season, you know, say 2-12, and 12, whatever whatever that number is, you know, now you're looking at the season as like a, a real uphill battle where now, you know, they're over 500 and they're kind of looking at it like, wow, okay, you know, we continue this trend and we, and we build on it. They're playing great on the road. You know, they've had some games at home where they've been close. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of good things to look at it from, from an early season standpoint. I mean, really, the only loss where you're like, what the bleep, was the Memphis loss, the game in Memphis. You know, I mean, it's not like you need to apologize losing to some of the better teams in the Western Conference or the Eastern Conference <clears throat> like they have. Yeah. Now, let's not forget, I mean, first game of the year, Kyrie Irving has a pretty good look. Rims out. Mm-hmm. Wolves win. So, I mean, it's a fine line. But you're right. As we sit here, 
on this Friday night. The Wolves are over 500. And you're right. I mean, think about one of your former franchises. There's a lot of them, but one of them, <laughs> New York, right? Who knows they what they're They come out the doing. other day. Management comes out the other day. This impromptu press conference, which I didn't understand. Now, from a media fodder standpoint, bring it on. That was fantastic. But internally, if I'm David Fisdale, if I'm a Knicks player, I don't you're really like, understand what is going on. the president and GM calling this impromptu press conference. Then all of a sudden, the next day, I need to answer all these questions. Mm-hmm. Right now, these these rumors are swirling about Fisdale's <clears throat> future. But yeah, I mean, that's because New York has gotten off to such a horrendous start. Yeah. So for your guy, Ryan... And remind us, like, how far back do you and Ryan Saunders go? Like, that's your guy. Yeah, so Ryan coached me in AU. I think it was his freshman year at DU when he was hurt. And he redshirted, I think, that year. He came and helped out with our AU program. And it was great to get kind of to know him at that point in time. And then over the years grew, you know, when he was in Washington with – um with Randy Whitman on staff, you know, pregame, we would sit down, we would just hang out, BS. And, and you know, we always kind of kept in touch. Then when I signed here, it was it was great. I was like, oh, wow, this is awesome. You know, Ryan's here. I think he's great. And, you know, looking at the situation, knowing how great of a coach and of a guy his father was, knowing that that's what his aspirations were, and then finally getting the opportunity to – kind of be the intern when Tom got fired and having that come this summer and be like, you know what, you're our guy. You know, it's just been awesome to see his his uh, his success through the years and, you know, the growth that he's had. And, I mean, it's a fun, entertaining brand of basketball. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, night and day. <laughs> I mean, think about the system or systems, offensive, defensive, you played through with Tom Thibodeau. And it's not a knock on Tom. I mean, Tom won at a really high level in Chicago. Yeah. Took this franchise to the playoffs for the first time in 14, 15 years. So it's not like Tom was a complete failure here. But not necessarily the most enjoyable brand of basketball to watch. Yeah, there. I think... You think about Ryan, right? And your guy Pablo, you know, Pablo's on staff. Uh-huh. Frigioni, who you played with in New York and Los Angeles. David Vanterpool is more the defensive coordinator. He but... was actually in Oklahoma City when I was okay. in, when I was there. Yeah, so I mean, you know the entire staff, so you know what sort of coaching chops these guys have. But it's just it's a really fun brand of basketball to watch. It's a lot of quick shots. It's a lot yeah. of three pointers. It's kind of the new era basketball. It is. Uh, you yeah. know, I always think of you know kind of like the '80s rough and tough, mean, physical basketball that. You know, the Pistons and the Bulls and, you know, those teams kind of went through during that era. And then you went from when I kind of, I guess when I got into the league, it was transitioning to a different style, kind of more of an open floor concept. And then now in the past you know, two or three years, it's really kind of have has flourished into that open concept. You get Carl, who's six what did they say? He's six ten now. He's not seven foot. <laughs> yeah, the official. Yeah, but he's really big. Yeah, him. And he's, Jokic. I mean, frankly, he's the best shooter on the team. Yeah, you you get all you get him, Jokic, Porzingis, uh, Lopez. I mean, just think about what Brook Lopez, who he was in in Brooklyn three four years ago, and then he he never took a three three or four years yeah. ago. Yeah, and now, now he takes sudden, like he's five a game. Three point shooter. He's taking <laughs> step yeah, back threes. I mean. Frankly, in some ways, it's why you're not playing in the NBA right now. In some some instances, yeah. Um, I mean, it's just it's a part of your game that I mean, you've always been more of a defensive guy. Yeah, right. And, and it's really the paint rebounder can certainly score, but that part of your game it never came. Yeah, because why? Right. I mean, it's seven feet tall. What was the reason for you to learn how to shoot three pointers? Uh, well, when you have Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Demarcus Cousins, Mello. I mean, I, when you play with all these all stars, I mean, my job was to get those guys open, you know, and and that was that was an easy and a hard hard gig at the same time. Where, you know, I got I got Mello on a pin down, and you know, I got to find a way to get him open because, you know, that that's the guy. You know, I'm I'm a interchangeable piece in a lot of senses. Where, you know, unfortunately. 
you can have somebody maybe not do it as well as I do, but you can kind of mold people. And, and the league has gone to be a lot younger than what it used to be, I think is kind of where the the weird transition is kind of evolving, where you have the teams that aren't so great that some of the reasons why they're, they're not very good is because they're so young. Well, and they don't understand they don't how to play. They don't want to be all that good. And I mean, there's some really good free agents out there right now. Okay. Our guy, Jamal Crawford, right? Jamal. Still sitting in Seattle. Yeah. Unbelievably. Yeah, at I mean, 51. We both know really well. You mean to tell me he couldn't help somebody right now? I mean, Shumpert is out there. I mean, go up and down the list. Your guy, John Lohr, who maybe isn't 100% right now, but he's not in an NBA roster. Yeah. There, There's uh, a bunch then, of good players. Legit NBA players that Kenneth are a little bit Fareed. older that are not on rosters right now. Kenneth Fareed just signed in China. Yes, yeah, I, I mean you have you have a lot of guys, and I think that's kind of you know a, a blessing and a curse. Is when I got into the league early, you had a lot of kind of older vets at the end of your bench. Your you know twelve, thirteen, fourteenth guy was a ten, twelve, thirteen year vet. Now they would have the developmental side where they can, you know, they could pay a kid, you know, a million dollars compared to paying somebody two and a half, depending on salary cap, maybe more. That's kind of where the league has gone. And, you know, it's in an interesting phase. It's It's gone through this social media phase where you have so much influence in kind of individualized players. I mean, 10 years ago, we had Facebook, we had MySpace, Instagram finally kind of like came out and it was like, ooh, what is this? Nobody really knows how to utilize this. Now you have guys... Certainly not monetize it, right? Yeah. Now you have guys making, in some cases, you know, a few million dollars just off of their brand. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Twitter was just a thing 10 years ago. It was in existence but not to the capacity it is now. All right, on Carl Anthony Towns, what was it like playing with him? And how have you seen him evolve over the last two years? And does he have legit leadership qualities? I've always wondered that from afar. So I think Carl, as a player, is unbelievable. For the things that he's able to do for his size, I saw um, the other night at the end of the quarter – in, uh, I think it was Detroit, he went by Thon Maker and just dunked it. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of like, geez, <laughs> that dude is almost seven feet being able to handle the ball like that, shoot the ball, and get to the rim. Like, how hard is that? Um, so I think his involvement as a player, because when he first got into the league, he was a real predominant back to the back player or back to the basket. Mm-hmm. And he was he was really, really good. And he had great footwork down there for being eighteen or nineteen, just a just a young kid, being able to score at a high level. Now he's kind of transitioned his game to where, you know, everybody else has gone. But you know, for him and Andrew, it's kind of an interesting leadership role because when we had Jimmy, I mean, as we all know, Jimmy is very boisterous. And he would hold people accountable. Some people, you know, took a harder time to that than others. But How did you respond to that? I was fine with Jimmy. I was one that probably maybe held his sanity together as, <laughs> in some ways. <laughs> but you saw the even... friction. The friction was clear as day, the friction between Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler. Well, I think and the... to an extent, Andrew Wiggins as well. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing was... With Carl and Jimmy was, you know, the message was fine. It was his delivery that just was hard. And, you know, for me, I've been around the block a handful of times. You know, Tom could yell at me. Jimmy could yell at me. I don't really care. It doesn't really, doesn't really fluster me. But, you know, for Carl, he takes, you know, criticism in a different way. And he can't necessarily, his personality doesn't like having somebody, hey, you got to do this, and, you know, barking at him. Yeah, we won't swear here on 
on the radio airwaves, but there might be an F bomb or two mixed in there. A handful of them. <laughs> but, you know, that, that's just his personality. And Jimmy wasn't great at, you know, kind of molding what he said to certain people. He just kind of said it. And that was, I think, a hard thing for, for both of them to go through it as, you know, Jimmy, if you looked at it as an outsider, was, was our leader. Carl was probably, they were both the best player. I can't say one was better than the other because they did so much differently. Um, so do you think that then sidetracked Cat's <clears throat> development as a leader? Because pre-Jimmy, this was very much his team. He was the alpha dog. Yeah. Even with Zach Levine and Andrew Wiggins, I think we could make the case that, that it was Carl Anthony Towns' team. Then Tom makes the trade for Jimmy, which I understand. It blew up Flip's vision, but I understand. Yeah. Trying to get this franchise to a place it hadn't been in over a decade, back to the postseason. He had a chance to get his guy, a guy he knows intimately well. Had a chance to bring in his guy, Jimmy. I understood it. Brings in Jimmy, but then, and also Andrew, that had to be a weird adjustment time for Andrew and Carl Anthony Towns when it was a certain way the year before. Then all of a sudden, Jimmy comes in. That just. Yeah. And it had to be goofy. I mean, look at when Flip was coaching and going through transitions of like Carl's. You know, Carl's had, he's been in the league five years. He's had three different coaches. So it's kind of hard, especially when you're a young player, to go from having one coach one year, having him get fired at the end of the year. Now you got a new guy coming in. Well, how about your coach and, dying, right? And then you play for Sam. Yeah. You know, and Sam <clears throat> is a unique individual, and I love Sam. Mm-hmm. I'm a Sam guy, but a lot of people aren't. But I'm a Sam guy. Yeah. Sam's my guy. So, yeah. Sam. Then into Tom, and now into Ryan. You're right. I mean, and you think about Andrew, same deal. I mean, you could even circle back. You could do this for Cat, too. But Andrew, one year under your guy, Bill Self. Yeah. Then comes into the NBA, plays for Flip, right? Then plays for Sam. Then plays for Tom. Very different personalities. I mean, Andrew Wiggins has played for a lot of coaches if you go back six years. Yeah, and you look at the guys that have really found development throughout their careers. You know, Kawhi, for instance. You know, Andrew and Kawhi aren't on the same level, but for this discussion, we'll just put them at that. You know, Kawhi has had Popovich for his first eight nine years in the league, and then now since then he's had three co- or two coaches. You know, um, so he's had that consistent kind of mentor in a sense if mm-hmm. if you can really and message yeah. mentor and message and and you in some instances coaches can be really good some coaches can may not be very good um some coaches rely on their assistance heavily some coaches you know kind of take the the bull by its horn and do it themselves we're talking about former wolves center cole aldrich i'll hit you with two more then i'll let you go so tonight at target center it's the washington wizards Head coach Scotty Brooks. He played for Scotty, right? <laughs> yeah. What was it like playing for Scotty Brooks, who has a history here in Minnesota, way back in the day, <laughs> right? I mean, you think about it 30 years ago this month, that first year, that season at the Metrodome, right? Was God, Scotty Brooks on that long. first team? Wow. If he wasn't on that first team, maybe he was on that he, second year, third yeah. year. But Scotty Brooks <clears throat> played for the Wolves. But yeah. what was it like, you as a player, playing for Scotty Brooks? And I guess as people are listening to this, heading to Target Center right now, mm-hmm. What can they expect, even though that Wizards team doesn't have a whole lot of talent? Well, you know, I th- I think he's he's super smart. He knows the game, obviously, because, you know, when we were in Oklahoma City, to be able to, for lack of better words, manage Kevin, Russell, and, and James and, and make it to the conference finals my first year, then make it to the finals my second year, and then, you know, post me being there, they still, I think they lost the to Memphis in the conference finals again a few years later. Might have been the conference semifinals. Yeah. Um, but, you know, has had success through them. Oh, he and, won. Yeah, I mean, he absolutely won in OKC. You know, and it's kind of a an interesting place where Washington is because John Wall is out. Bradley Beal has, you know, played great. Isaiah Thomas now is 
seeming to be really healthy and and kind of find his old self. Um, you know, this team is like any team. You, you know, you could you could get crushed or or you could crush them. And you know, you could very well walk into it and see the Wolves one by twenty five or. You also could see a close game and be like, wow, geez, you know, they've been shorthanded lately, but they've also found ways to not only be in games, but win games. You brought up Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden. You've also played with Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, Marcus Cousins, Jimmy, three MVPs. I mean, some weird personalities, unique. How about that? Unique personalities like Meta World Peace, J.R. Smith. I mean, you, it's the whole gamut, right? I mean, you've played with future Hall of Famers. You've played with Hall of Fame personalities. But I guess, oh, man, there's all world personalities yeah, with a few guys. Like 30 or 35 or 40 years from now, you're talking to the grandkids. Who's the first player that you'll cite? Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins. Jimmy Butler. I mean, you played with so many great players. I got so many. Who's the first? If you just had to mention one, who's the first player out of your mouth when you're talking to the grandkids in 35 years saying, back in the day, I played with so-and-so? You know, I I always think about how kind Russ and Kevin were. You know, my wife and, and Russell's wife are still very close, but Kevin was in China doing something with a Nike tour, and we were getting married. And he flew in from China, you know, that next day to come to our wedding. Oh, wow. So, you know, Kevin always kind of has a soft part in my heart. Everybody thinks that, you know, he's kind of an ass, which he can be in some ways. But he, to me, has always just kind of been a great guy. Russell the same way. Russell, you know, as a basketball player is phenomenal. Sometimes can be a little hard nosed in in playing and whatnot but you know those two guys kind of really stick out that they're just they're great people and and they helped kind of become a better person when i was with them good stuff cole thank you for doing this yeah thank you for having me former wolf center among many teams many many teams <laughs> the legendary the iconic it's the script i'm telling you he hands me a script every time we do one of these he hands me a script and it's gonna it says, get better you need and better to read this right so the legendary the iconic when it comes to minnesota high school basketball just minnesota basketball as a whole cole aldrich joining us in studio here to wrap up scoop podcast episode 266 enjoy the weekend everyone